following is a recording of a sermon given at All Saints Lutheran Church in Ottawa, Canada. For additional messages and more information, visit allsaintslutheran.ca. This morning I'm concluding my series that I entitled Just Like, uh, Just like Us, um, where we've been looking at several Bible characters over the past several weeks to see how much they're just like us so that we could be just like them. Could have talked about far more than the ones that I did, could have said a lot more about each one than I, than I did. And it's part of the marvelous thing about the scriptures that God has given to us as a precious gift because it's such a mirror of real life in all of its messiness and confusion, ambiguity, um, the good people aren't always doing good, and, and sometimes bad people do good things, and just like just like real life, it's to show us. It's the Bible was given to us by God to equip us to be the kind of people that He wants us to be. Um, and now, that really begins when we come to know Him as His children by believing in Jesus. But just by believing in Him and having some sort of precious experience in coming to know God through him is really only just the beginning. And through the scriptures, we, we learn what it means to live out uh, the faith that we have in him. And so two mornings ago on Good Friday, I began a, this two-part series looking at Jesus uh, in, in, with this theme of just like us. And we saw how he became just like us by taking on human form actually and truly. We saw that he's not a superhero. He became a normal human being just like the rest of us. Um, and he had to because he had to have a body that was going to truly die um, so that he could have a body that will truly raise from the dead uh, so that we who have bodies that will truly die, will have, if we trust in him, will have bodies that truly rise from the dead. And so we saw how Jesus gave himself in horrible suffering, the only truly, un, uh, um, truly just person who ever lived. And by dying for us and then rising from the dead, he truly dealt with the sin problem. That part of us that um, became part of the human experience when Adam and Eve disobeyed God in the garden and God cursed human beings and the earth as a result of that. And how what Jesus did breaks the power of the curse. We still experience the, its effects, but we don't have to be controlled by its power explain more as we go along. I mentioned on Friday, and, and, and these messages are all online if you would like to, if you'd like to see them or listen to them. Uh, we saw how the scriptures teach us that God appointed human beings to be his representatives on earth. And when our first parents, Adam and Eve, failed to to listen to God and to obey him and caused all the trouble that we've been suffering from ever since, we lost our place as God's representatives on earth. 
And when that happened, it's not as if God said, oh, that's a big mistake. I should have never have done that. I'm going to have to do it all by myself and forget about you all. That's not what his plan of salvation has been. From that moment, he was determined to put us back in our rightful place as his representatives on earth, to truly live as people made in his image. And so when Jesus came, he didn't come simply as some heavenly champion to do what we could not do for ourselves. It's true that he came to do what we could not do for ourselves, but he didn't come in the way that we watch sports today. And we watch people on our television screens. We used to go there in person, but that's a distant history right now. But we watch them on our TV screens. We see these great champions with their athletic prowess doing things that we, many of us wish we could do, but we cannot do them ourselves. And we watch their great exploits and the ones who we, uh, the ones who we uh, approve of and um, feel that we're part of. Um, we applaud them for their great, excellent things that they do as we watch them do what we cannot do. But that is not what Jesus came to do. Jesus did not come as the great heavenly champion so that we could watch and go, yay, Jesus, for conquering death. Yippee, Yahoo, you're fantastic, and we just and then pa- please pass the popcorn. That is not what Jesus came to do. Maybe I've mentioned this here before. In the book of Hebrews, it talks about the great cloud of witnesses who are, who are watching us run our race. The only fans in how God has made things to work, the only fans that are no longer actually in the game are dead. Everybody else is in the game whether you want to be or not. We have been called to be participants in the plans and purposes of God. Have we failed? Yes. What is God's solution? Well, you might think David was a champion. Nobody wanted to fight Goliath. We know that story so well. Everybody was shaking in their sandals. Well, when David saw this disgraceful taunting of the giant upon the people of Israel, he said, I will do it. I trusted God in my job as a shepherd. I'm going to trust God to be the warrior of the hour. And he went and he fought Goliath. But what happened when David killed the giant? Did the armies of Israel throw their their swords in the air. I guess that would be, you wouldn't throw your swords in the air, would you? But maybe their helmets, that's also dangerous. Don't do that. Um, But uh, they didn't sit back and go, yay, David, ooh, 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 David, David, go, go, go. No, when David won the battle, the army found their courage to go fight. And that's what Jesus has done. Jesus didn't just conquer death so we can go, oh, great, and one day when I die, I'm going to get to be with him. I've got this wonderful heavenly insurance policy. I think there's some truth in that, but our heavenly insurance policy is supposed to give us the courage to join him in the fight against death and sin and evil and loneliness and poverty and all the remnants of the curse. His victory calls us into action. It doesn't keep us on the sidelines cheering him on. 
I think this is something that Paul was concerned about, about this particular group of believers in this this city of Ephesus in modern-day Turkey. I'm going to read Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23. It's a familiar passage to many of us, but in a day like today, we need to be reminded. Paul writes, For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints... I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places." far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Paul loved very long sentences. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So Paul was writing to a group of true believers, They truly believed in Jesus, but there were things missing. And for a lot of people, their theology doesn't allow them to think that. They actually think that if you're a true believer, you got it all. You're experiencing it all. And in fact, because you're experiencing it all, your low-level experience, if I may say, and my low-level experience must be everything that I'm going to get because, you know, I believe in Jesus, I've got it all. But the New Testament doesn't teach that. Believing in Jesus is actually just the beginning. We need to grow. We need to learn. We need to still be corrected with the things that we've gotten, we're confused about. We still need to confess our sins. We need to get to know God better and become more like him every day. And we all fail in that. That's the reality. That's what the Bible teaches. And so Paul had discerned that there were certain things that he saw lacking. Not everything. He saw they had love, they had faith, but there were things that they were lacking. They were lacking hope. And biblical hope is, a, is, is that sense of confident outcome. How many of us in, during COVID have confident outcome? They don't want us to have confident outcome. They want us to be afraid. And they might be your relative. They might be the media. They might be the politicians. They are trying to make us afraid. I'm not, I've never said we should be foolish. But if we have contracted fear, can I say this? Biblically speaking, fear is worse than COVID. Do we understand that? And you, I've been here over two years. Fear is one of my greatest problems. You can ask my family. It is that I stand up before you each week And sometimes it's twice, as it was this week. Though this is the new week. Never mind. For me to stand up here, you don't understand. Me getting out of bed every morning is a miracle. I don't know how I'm able to drag my body around every single day. And the fear that I struggle with each and every day of my life that I've been battling ever since I was a little child, 
And I got to get up and I got to do what I do and I fail constantly? How many times have I wanted it to all stop? Be exactly like Elijah. That's it, Lord, enough. My, I, the reason why I don't really think that much about suicide is I think I'm more afraid of death than living. It's, it, but it's fear. It's fear on one end, fear on the other end. Do you know how grateful I am for God's forgiveness? That's why the confession time, this is the first church I've been where, it's, where it's, we do it regularly. I'm so grateful for a confession time because it's so real to me. I'm really confessing my sins up here, folks. My sins of, of self-focus, that's a big one. And I think the self-focus and the fear, I, sorry, it's a bit of a psychology a, a session, but the self-focus and the fear seem to go hand in hand. My wife keeps telling me, just, she said to me yesterday, just live. Just live. Do you know what it's like to tell someone like me, just live? You know what I said to her? It's not in the Bible. <laughs> and we could have a discussion about that later. But to just live. But what I can do is I can look to a God and I can rejoice that he forgives me. Not just every day, but every moment of the day. And that's not an excuse for purposely doing wrong. We need to reckon with that. And may he break sinful habits in our lives. And may he break sinful patterns. And may we reckon with the wrongs that we do and deal with them. But there is forgiveness in him. There is hope. In, and it's, it, it just... You know, I'll, I'll listen to a song and all of a sudden I find my, the hope bubbling over and I, I laugh at myself because I know how I t- I, that my tendency is to go to that darker place of sadness and depression and yet then I find the, the joy of the Lord bubbling up in me and it's just so, what a blessing because I know how real it is because in a person like me that would not happen naturally. Hope. The second one is riches. The riches of heaven. We have heaven's resources at our disposal. And yet so often we act as if we are spiritual paupers. The reason why we think we're so poor spiritually and poor in life, and I was raised in a house that was full of poverty mentality. That's why my parents were argued almost all the time about what we didn't have. And I was taught, you can't do this, you can't do that, you can't do the other thing. Can't, 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 can't because we don't have the money to do it. And obviously, we didn't have the emotional resources to do whatever either, because it had so saturated the fabric of my, of my family. And then I come into contact with not the... At some point, I thought of him as the great superhero. Now I know he's not the great superhero. He's the, he's the great equipper who's come to show me and people like me that I have unlimited resources at my disposal. Which is why I can get up in the morning. Because it doesn't matter how I feel. It only matters what is. And my feelings lie to me and don't tell me the truth about what really is. A person like myself has to turn from focusing on on the feelings and purposely focus on reality. The reality that there is nothing that we can't do if God is in it. Nothing. And the third one is power. So the Ephesians 
under, knew the Lord, but they didn't fully have the hope they should have. They didn't understand the riches that were theirs, and they didn't understand the power that they had. And the Greek word for power, you might have heard this before, it's dunamis, it's where we get dynamite from, and that makes a great sermon, but actually it simply means ability. And for some of us, knowing we have ability to do those things that we don't think we can do, that is dynamite. That would be real dynamite. I don't mean destructive dynamite. I mean this wonderful explosive power to live beyond our perceived capabilities. That is what has been given to us. And Paul says that the power that we have, not the power that we feel that we have, not the power that's evident through how we seem to be living necessarily, but the power that we actually have is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. Now this is where it gets really crazy. Because it's, it seems so crazy, because it seems so different from our, our experience most of the time. But it shouldn't be. We are supposed to be, this is the, it's, an, it's obviously I'm having trouble saying it. So Jesus lived a perfect life. He didn't deserve to die. The only human being that never deserved to die. And he was risen from the dead, conquering death. That's amazing. But get this. Then that power comes to reside in us. We who still have mortal bodies. We who still have mortal bodies are now full of resurrection power. Now, this would be easier as some sort of movie where what would happen is if we come to believe in Jesus, we get full of resurrection power, and now we're never going to ever die, and the bullets will, will ricochet off our chest. That makes more sense to us. What's really difficult for us to understand is that our skin is still penetrable, and we still get hurt, and we still get sick. I know there's Christians out there that, you know, if you get sick, then you have lack of faith. That's a lie. That's nonsense. It's not biblical. We still struggle with weakness. We still struggle in mortal bodies. We, I, we looked at Paul, uh, that, that was last week, and he talks about being having treasure in jars of clay uh, and how this treasure is seen in our mortal bodies, bodies that are, are dying-type bodies. And some of us feel that death, and you don't have to be um, in your upper years to feel the death. That there's young people struggling with all sorts of things that feel like they're being driven to the, an early grave. And there are issues, whether they, they're um, you know, chemical issues in their brains or physical issues or blood issues. People have issues where we live this, on one hand, this death-like existence. I know of the one or two of you that feel good this morning, you don't understand, but I'm talking to the rest of you. Um, we, we feel that you know life can be so difficult and challenging and hard and all the rest. It's those people that are full of resurrection power because Jesus has been raised from the dead. And so what's more amazing? That the Son of God rose from the dead or that these other of us decrepit folks are full of resurrection power. Now that's, for his resurrection is, is off the charts amazing. But if 
But I think there's something even more amazing. It, and it's all glory to him that he has given this to us as a gift. But how do we actually li- um, live according to that gift? How do we see the reality? Like, I'm really good at connecting with the reality of, of my fatigue and the reality of my, my struggles and the reality of my failings. I got that one down pat. How do I live according to the reality of the hope that I have, of the riches that I have, and the power of the resurrection that's at work in me. And again, many of us think that if this was real, it should just happen. Just should happen. Well, that's when I first came to know the Lord. He so transformed me in those first few months. I thought that's how it was going to work. I said this prayer. I, I asked him to forgive my sins. He came, he came into my life. I was I'd have been having panic attacks for weeks. They had stopped. And I thought, this is how it's all going to work. It's as if I was already risen from the dead. And then I started encountering some of the problems and issues that were part of me. And yet I'm supposed to live like a resurrected one. How? Well, it's a very simple but not so simple concept. It's one we use all the time. It's called faith. But as I've been studying this and struggling with this for all these years, I've seen there's this huge problem, and it's especially in the evangelical church, where we have so simplified the concept of faith that it's almost become a nothing. Because in the Protestant tradition, there's such a repulsion to this thing called works, and we mustn't allow us to be dictated by works, and I agree with that, but it's been actually very, very skewed to the point that there's this idea that to trust God is to do the great nothing, just a great nothing, completely disengage almost from life. And once you're able to fully disengage, then you get carried somehow by God. I really, it doesn't really make any sense. I know there are moments where we feel like that takes over, similar to when I first came to know the Lord. I thought I plugged in and resume. That's what I was experiencing in those early months. But it doesn't seem to be our experience all the time. Faith is not a non-activity. It's a special kind of activity. You've heard me say it here before, but the word actually means trust. And it's connected in Hebrew to the idea of truth. Truth and trust, faith and faithfulness, they're all connected. And what it is, it's a reliance. Faith is a reliance upon something. You know, faith kicks in when you know somebody and you are they're part of your life and you're committed to them, that's activities, you're loyal to them, and then you hear something nasty about them. And you can totally put that aside. Even when the evidence is saying otherwise, you put it aside because you are so loyal to them. That's faith. Now, that can be negative, that's false, that's, that's misguided loyalty to actually deny when we're denying reality. With God, true faith is believing in his truth even when other things are suggesting otherwise. So, get up in the morning, don't want to get up. Feel like I cannot face the day. 
and I look to God for his help and his strength, and I get up anyway, trusting that he will carry me through. And the fact is, hey, I'm still here. He's been doing it for these past several decades. And there are days where it seems more miraculous than other days. But for some of us, every step is a step of faith because we're not relying on self, we're not relying on what seems to be, but we're relying on the invisible reality of the power of God. And that's the key. The key to experiencing the hope, the riches, and the power that Paul believed the Ephesians so desperately needed, and I believe that that's what we desperately need today, The key is by truly relying on him. He is risen indeed. And the power that raised him from the dead is at work in our dying bodies. Let us live accordingly. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that you have done this astounding thing. And so many since the coming of your Son, have proven that you are greater than our weaknesses. You are greater than our sins. You are greater than our sicknesses, our chronic ailments, our difficulty in relationships, our inability to live up to our own standards, never mind yours. And all the different ways that that sin has troubled the human experience since the beginning. Thank you that you've conquered it all. And not just as something for us to look forward to, but for something for us to experience now. Father, please, break through to our lives. In our hearts, in our families, and in this congregation. That we would know the hope to which we've been called, the riches of of our glorious inheritance with all your holy people and the immeasurable greatness of your power toward us who trust you, the same power that raised your son from the dead whom we are celebrating this morning. May you celebrate May you celebrate today because of the outworking of that power in our lives. Make us people of faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. For additional messages and more information, please visit us on the web at allsaintslutheran.ca.